Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. So tonight, we're going to dive in uh, to our study of Genesis, and we're going to start to look at the first verses of, of our Holy Scriptures. These are the very first verses of our Bible. And we're going to attempt to, to kind of dive into the beginning of this earth, the beginning of mankind, the beginning of all created things. This, uh, this little series will take us several weeks, uh, and it will be beginning in Genesis 1-1 tonight, and we will conclude in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, when the genealogies of man and, the, and kind of the, the, exp, the exponential mag- multiplication of mankind, so to speak, begins. That's a big one, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I can't spell it, but I can say it. Um, and so why, why do we do this? Why do we look at Genesis in this day and time? Uh, what, what does it mean? Why do we want to dive into this? Why does it matter? Uh, what is it, what is it to, to be a creationist? That's a term that we're going to use some. Um, and we're going to go through this. And so why do we do this? Well, we do it because... To be a creationist, to be one who adheres to a biblical creation view of where we came from and how it all began is not such a popular stance anymore. Uh, it, it's actually not even respected in uh, academic fields most of the time if someone uh, has that stance of being a biblical creation person. Uh, there are plenty of books, there are plenty of classes, there are plenty of stances uh, that receive plenty of merit throughout the world, but to adhere to the thought that a mighty God created everything seems to be more than the world can bear. For, for the world to stand back and say that, that there was one true God and that he spoke everything into an existence, it's just more than the world can bear. So why do we look at this? Um, we're going to look at it from, from what I would call an apologetics standpoint. So what that means, apologetics, those are writings or teachings used to justify a stance or belief usually a religious or spiritual thought. So we're going to be looking at creation from an apologetic standpoint. Why? Because we need to be able to share our view of creation with someone who doesn't believe in God. We need to be able to understand this is what the Bible says, this is when it says it, this is why it says it, this is why I believe it. And so that's why we kind of could look at that. That way we can reconcile our faith and reconcile what we believe to be true as true to someone else. So we're going to start with Genesis. Now, the name itself comes from the Hebrew word that begins our scriptures. The very first Hebrew phrase that begins our scriptures literally means in the beginning. And so the word Genesis, we get from that, it literally means in the beginning. The author of the book of Genesis is Moses. Now, Genesis is the beginning of what we're going to call, or what is called, a series of books that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books make up what is called the Pentateuch. How many people have heard of the Pentateuch before? Not a new word, right? So the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and that the word Pentateuch literally means one book, five parts. So you could say that the first five books of the Bible are one big writing of Moses that are meant to be recognized as a continuous novel, so to speak, having five distinct parts, and Genesis is the first of those. So when did Moses write this text? He, he wrote this text approximately 14 to 1500 years prior to Jesus coming to this earth. 
And there have been basically 3,500 years since it was written. So what we have here in our hands in the book of Genesis is a text that is ancient, that has stood the test of time, that was written, that we might understand a few things about God. So who is he writing it to originally? Why, why do I even tell you guys this? Because I feel like it's important for us to understand what the author was thinking, who the author was, and when he wrote it. I think it's all going to play in as we carry through this. If nothing else, if you made notes, if we ever play Bible trivia, you'll have good trivia on your hands for Genesis, so you'll be ready for that. So who was Moses writing to originally? The original audience would have been the refugees, the million to two million or so that had fled out of Egypt Uh, Those who would have been the children of Israel as well as if you look in Exodus, you'll see that they picked up a few people along the way that wandered in the wilderness with them. And so they'd been out of Egyptian captivity. They were wandering in the wilderness. And Moses pins this book, Genesis. He begins to pin this to them. And the idea would have been this. It would have been a reminder to those children who were wandering in the wilderness of where they came from and of the land that was promised to them in which they were going. So it reminds them where they came from. It tells them where they're going, essentially. And so in many ways, it applies to us today in this same way. Why do we look to this sacred text? Why do we look to this ancient book still today? Why do we still look at it? Because it reminds us where we came from, and it points us to where we are going, to a land that has been promised to us. And so some things that I want us to remember as we dive in, though. Moses pens this book. And it is not what we would call an exhaustive history of mankind. And here's what I mean by that. If my wife tells me a story, she gives me an exhaustive description of what happened. This is not, I'm not poking fun at her. This is serious. I mean, it's funny, but it's serious. What I mean by that is by the time my wife is done telling me an exhaustive story of something that happened, not only do I know every character that was present, I know who their mother was, I know where they were born, I know what they drove when they were on their way there, I know what clothes they were wearing, I know what time the conversation took place, I know what everybody was drinking and how many cubes of ice were in the glass. All right? I know everything. However, when I give an account of the same event, I give what would be called a summarized version, not an exhausted version. So I would say, hey, I saw some people at lunch. We had water. (laughs) All right? So that's the difference between an exhaustive and a summary. And so Moses is giving a selected history of mankind. In other words, Moses is going to cover about 2,000 years of human history here in the book of Genesis. The rest of the Bible combined, Exodus through Revelation, gives us about the same amount of time. So Moses is going to cover in one book what we're going to get in the entire rest of the Bible. In fact, chapters 2 through 5 of Genesis cover over 1,600 years in those chapters alone. So it couldn't be exhaustive or it would be 14 million pages long. We're covering 2,000 years of history. And so it's not going to give us every single detail, but instead it is giving the things to us that are most important to us in our understanding of God. Well, I wish it would be more detailed about this. That would solve a lot of problems. I wish it would be more detailed about that. That would make it a lot easier, no? The idea of this book is not to scratch your itch or satisfy your craving and your every wondering. The idea behind this scripture is to point you to God. Not to satisfy every thought you had, but to point you to God. 
So, what is the major problem? Why are there so many different thoughts about where we come from? Why are there so many different uh, evolutionists and, and big bangs and all of these different things? Where do all these come from? Well, the, the big trouble for humans is we can't come to a concrete thought. We can't come to a concrete conclusion about it because none of us were there when it happened. None of us were there when creation happened. No human was there when creation happened. And so we can't, we can't really come to that conclusion as humans unless we saw it for ourselves and touched it for ourselves, right? And we don't even have anybody that was there to do it. And so science has sought to seek out creation with many hypotheses of how the beginning came to be. Pastor Mark Driscoll said it best, I believe, on this thought. He said, because no one was there, we cannot reconcile creation through speculation. Creation has to be reconciled through revelation. So what does that mean? It means that, that we can't, nobody was there. So no thought we have, no idea we have, no plan we have, no hypothesis we have would be sufficient to come up with where all of this came from. Because you can't just explain one thing. You've got to explain everything when you're trying to explain creation. And so no hypothesis would be sufficient. The only way that we can know about creation truly is through a divine revelation of the one that was there. God. Hebrews 11.3 says we know how the world was made by our faith. In other words, scientific speculation and hypotheses cannot come to concrete truth. Only our faith in the revelation of God through the hand of Moses as he pens this letter can reveal to us where we came from. And so as we dive in, remember it's not an exhaustive text that we would understand all of creation's intricacies and details but it is a text that we would see God glorified in his creative work. Galileo said this of the Bible. He said, it's not preeminently concerned with explaining how the heavens go, but is more concerned with telling us how to go to heaven. So, that's where our faith comes into play, right? The whole purpose of the Bible is not that we would understand everything about heaven and everything about earth and everything about everything. And it doesn't reveal to us in plain black and white writing all of the mysteries of Christ. But instead, it gives us what we need to know God and be reconciled to God that we might get there to one day have the knowledge revealed to us. So you want to know every detail of creation? Make sure you know God when you get there. Ask him. Ask him what happened on that day and when it happened and how it happened. But we have everything that we're supposed to know right here contained in this book. So, so that's kind of an introduction. It's a longer introduction than I normally give. But I'm fixing to preach the rest of the sermon on four words. So calm down. All right, I preached like ten verses this morning and it took 30 minutes. So four words can't possibly take more than an hour. We should be fine. <laughs> You liked that, didn't you, Mama Linda? So let's dive right in now. Verse 1. Everybody stand in honor and reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God. It's only one verse. You can handle it this morning. Most of you could quote it from memory. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for every single word of your scripture. We thank you so much for this very first Verse, these very first words that you reveal yourself to us in, in the beginning, God, you created the heaven and the earth. God, we pray that as we dive into this first chapter of Genesis and the first 
few verses of the second chapter. God, you would illuminate yourself in the text, Lord, and that, that, that we would decrease, that you would increase our understanding and our knowledge of you would increase and that you would be revealed to us in a deeper way. God, bind any devil or any demon from this place that would hinder our focus of worshiping you, Lord God, that you would be glorified in the reading and the preaching of this text. Father, it's in your precious name that we pray as all of God's children said. Amen. You may be seated. So verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you say it so many times. We've said it so many times. We quote it from memory. My children know it. We teach the children in Sunday school. Everybody knows. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. We can say it so fast. Some of us could probably say it backwards. I'm not going to try. Right? Here's the danger in something you know that well. It becomes like the Pledge of Allegiance if you're not careful. You know what I'm talking about? You say the Pledge of Allegiance, it should mean something to you as an American, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, right? We're supposed to be, but, but you say it so many times that before you know it, it's just a pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the Republic, which doesn't mean anything anymore, right? That's what this verse tends to do to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It becomes part of memory, but doesn't become part of something bigger. So God dives right in within the beginning. And so the question starts to be asked right there in those first three words. In the beginning, how old is this earth? That's the first question that we want to tackle. How old is this earth? Some scientists say that the earth is as much as four and a half billion years old. And even some creationists agree with the thought that we have an old earth. Some would say that we have a relatively young earth. Some six to 10,000 years old is our earth. That's a big range, isn't it? Six to 10,000 years or four and a half billion years old for this earth. That's a, that's a large section right there. Science says that by carbon dating that the earth has to be billions of years old. It has to be billions of years old or the carbon dating wouldn't, wouldn't recognize things this old. And the Christian theologian would say, on the other hand, that if you start with the genealogies in Genesis chapter 5 and work backwards, you'll find that this earth isn't more than six to 10,000 years old. And so which is it? Right? That's, that's kind of something that we want to know. We hunger for that. We thirst for that. How, which answer is right? Well, the text says, in the beginning, and that Hebrew word for beginning is Rashid. And I'm fixing to reveal to you something amazing. Rashid means at some point. That clears it right up, doesn't it? At some point, God. Now, we can try to infer as much as we want to, but essentially what God tells us we need to know is I made it. In the beginning. When was that? He doesn't say. You can think it's old. You can think it's young. God says what you need to know is I did it. And when I did it, that was the beginning. Right? So the creationists, those who adhere to a biblical account of creation, who believe that the earth is old. There are some who believe that the earth is four and a half billion years old and they say that God created earth a long, long time ago and then about six to 10,000 years ago he created man and he created the things that we see to dwell on this earth and that helps to reconcile both points. But the most Christian theologians would say 
Well, you say that it's old because it looks old, right? The earth looks old. There seems to be evidence that the earth is old, so it must be old. However, I happen to believe that God in His infinite sovereignty has the ability to create a mature earth when He created it. Scripture teaches me that God created Adam, and Adam was a mature man when he was created. Right? It doesn't say in Scripture that God created Adam as an embryo and Adam grew for nine months and was born to some woman that's unnamed and that he grew of age from a baby into becoming a man and that, you know, 18 or 19 years later, God then began the story of Adam and Eve. That's not how God created Adam. Adam didn't come through the normal way, through the birth. He didn't come in that fashion. Adam was crafted by God, and when he was crafted by God, he was a fully mature man of age at that point. If God created a man fully mature, could he not have also created an earth that was already mature when he created it? What I mean by that is if he created a tree on day one and you cut that tree down, they say what? You count the rings inside the tree to tell how old it is, right? God could have created a tree on day one. You cut it down, you look at the rings. There could have been 36 rings there, but that tree would have only been a day old. But it looked like a 36-year-old tree. So God can create. I believe that a God that's amazing enough to create everything out of nothing is quite capable of creating an earth that is already fully mature when he created it. So what matters? Why does does this even matter, Brother Jason? You're, You're talking about all this stuff. I feel like we went to school tonight. That's okay. History has a beginning. That's what matters. When it was 6,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, 4 billion years ago, really doesn't matter. What matters is that in the beginning there was a start. This is where time begins. God is above time and beyond time. So when he created us, he created time with it. And this is where we really give science a, a hard time. The science has a theory that they would adhere to in everything but creation, and they tend to argue it with the creation, it's this. If something has a beginning, then it must have had to have something to begin it. That's a scientific theory that's used throughout all kinds of things. Anytime they create a new species, anytime they create a new car, it has a beginning because something began it. So these words in the beginning say what? If there was a beginning, then there had to be something to begin it. Who was that? God. That's the only explanation that is there. Every other theory that comes up, comes up way short. Because here's 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 where the other theory comes from. Listen to this. It's It's really easy. I can understand why it's so popular. Back when there was nothing, some of the nothing crashed into each other, exploded, and suddenly there was something. Now, it didn't do it because anything told it to. It did it because the nothing was floating around and bumped into each other. How does nothing bump into nothing and create something? Somebody help me. I don't get it. 
Yet, yet we can adhere to that thought and call it a big bang or a big bop or a big boom or whatever we want to, but we struggle to think that a God who is beyond the continuum of time, who has always been, said, I think that I'll make an earth, and that earth is going to be this way. I'm going to put people in it. These people are going to be like me. They're going to be in my image, and I'm going to do this. Why? Because I want them to glorify me. I'm going to create all of this for my glory. And yet we struggle with that thought and we get on board with the thought that just out of nothing came nothing and suddenly there was something. Now I am not all that smart. Smarter than my wife, I know that. Because she married me, which ain't saying much for her. But to infer that everything came from nothing without something putting it in motion is tough for me to buy. But to think that one majestic creator created everything out of himself for his own glory. I can get on board with that. I can see the evidence of that everywhere. So we've gotten through the first three words. That's good. In the beginning. Do we know exactly when? No. But what do we need to know? What does God tell us we need to know? We need to know that we have a starting point. That that's where it all started. Why does that matter? Because if it all started, then something had to start it. Unless something started, it it didn't get started. So here's the first few words. Let us dive further. In the beginning, help me. Stop. Don't go no further. It's as far as we're going. In the beginning, God. All right. So the next word, the word here is used is Elohim. There are two primary words or two primary phrases used to describe God in the Hebrew language. One is this word that we see here, Elohim. And then there's also the word Yahweh or Jehovah. Those are both interchangeable. And so a lot of scientists would say, you'll hear a lot of arguments out there, a lot of people that are against Christian creation, they would say this, well, there couldn't have been one author. It couldn't have been Moses that wrote all of this book because he uses different words to describe God. And he wouldn't have a different phrase that he used to describe God. Some would point to it to say that it must be a a, a multi-theistic world. So there's many gods because Moses uses different words to describe them. So it couldn't just be one God that created everything. (coughs) However... That doesn't make much sense. I'm going to to break it down. We're going to get it right here. And so the Hebrew language, they use the word Elohim mainly when they're speaking of God in a universal sense in terms of his relationship to the earth or all of the people or all of the animals or all of creation. So everything in relation. So, So nothing specific, but just the entire thing. They use the word Elohim. But... When they speak of God in terms of God and his relationship with his people, with his children, with those who know him, those whom he calls his, they use the word Jehovah or Yahweh. So what's that mean? Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about, Brother Jason. So most of you call me one of two names. Most of you call me Pastor Jason or Brother Jason. That's usually what most of you call me. And I'm talking about what you call me to my face, not what you call me when you're talking in the back when I ain't around. Most of you call me Pastor Jason or Brother Jason. However, 
when I go home, there are some little people that live in my house, and they ain't not one of them calls me Brother Jason or Pastor. They all call me what? Dad. Daddy, Dad. Sometimes they say other things about me too when I ain't around. But In other words, there's a general name for me, Brother Jason, Pastor Jason. And then there's a special name that the people who have been given to me to care for, whom I love in a special relationship, they have a different name for me, and that's Dad. Right? It's the same way with the Hebrew use of the term for God. When they're talking about God in a universal sense, it's the name that everybody would understand, God. But when they're talking about God in the sense of those whom have been entrusted to him, those whom God has given to the Son, they call him Jehovah, Jesus, Savior, right? The one that they know, the one that they love. It's that same interchangeable thing. So it says here, in the beginning, God. There's something else that's inferred with that. There is God. The Bible assumes that God exists. I get this all the time. From, you know, you ever want to know somebody that will study your scripture better than you are? Wait till you run into an agnostic or an atheist person. They will know your scriptures better than you will most of the time. And a lot of times I get this. You know, well, well, God doesn't really say anything in his scriptures to really prove himself. No. Why? God, God assumes that anybody that's looking at this Bible, you have to make the assumption that God is God. You have to make the assumption there is one God. God assumes when he pins these words, in the beginning God, that we understand that God is the holy God, is the creator, is the only God. He is, he is, he is. There's, he doesn't have to, to, to give some kind of discourse into why he is. He just says that he is. What does he tell them in Exodus? He says, tell them that I am. Right? That's how God says that's what he is. God says I am and it's on us to have the faith in him to see him in that way. Psalm 14.1 says the fool says in his heart that there is no God. So God is essentially saying I am. And the burden of proof lies on the backs of the scientists to prove that he is not. And they have tried and tried. And tried to prove that there is no God. But can I tell you something? They never have. Never. There's not been not once. There have been plenty that could say I have a hard time believing in God. There's never been a scientist that could stand with facts and say there's no way there's God. There's no way that this creation is true. I don't, I don't necessarily buy into it. They might say that. They might have support for their own theories. But not one scientist and all the smart people that have ever been born in Jackson County. Not one of them could ever prove that there was no God. None of them. So God says the burden of proof is on you to prove that, that, that I am not God. And it's never been done. And so how do we sum these words up this evening as we come zooming in to a close? The Bible assumes that there is one true God. And that God exists beyond the continuum of time and space and matter. He always was. And that at some point, he began everything by creating everything. And that's what, you really, that's what really matters out of these first four words. Is that at some point, the God who is above everything created everything. And began 
everything. If we began, it was because we had a beginner. That beginner is God. We're four words into this study. We should get through at least 12 words next week. But how do we respond to this? How, how do we respond? And I know this is not the normal spit, slobber, stomp message. It's more of a teaching type message. So how do we respond to this as children of God? Well, first, I think we need to prepare our hearts to hear from God as we study through the book of Genesis. What does God want to reveal to us about himself? Why do I say we need to prepare our hearts for that? Because we're so familiar with this text that if we're not careful, we'll come in here every Sunday night for the next six or eight weeks, we'll cruise right through it, we'll get to the other side, and we will have done nothing but had eight services. But that's not why Moses penned those words. That's not why the Holy Spirit of God inspired Moses to pen those words. It was what? So we could see more of God. He could reveal more of himself to us in his text. So we need to prepare our hearts for that because as believers, sometimes we get, we get in this funk where we've heard it all so many times that we don't think we can learn anything else. We don't think anything else can be revealed to us. So we need to prepare our hearts for the rest of this. We also need to recognize that God has given us all we need to see him revealed in his creation because our job as believers is to share his gospel with other people. And if there's no other reason for you to understand the beginning any better than you already do, it should be because if you're going to share Jesus with somebody, if you're going to share Jesus with somebody and you don't start at the beginning, you did that person a disservice. We don't, we don't want to start with a virgin birth. We want to start within the beginning. Everything was created by God. Because if you don't understand that it all came from God and that we came from God, then how in the world can you explain to somebody why Jesus died to reconcile us to a God that you didn't ever mention to them? We don't want to talk about the blood. We, we, we're quick to talk about the cross of Christ. And it is, it, it, it's everything that is everything to us. But if you don't tell somebody the reason that Jesus had to die was because you needed to be reconciled to a holy God and you don't tell them where that holy God came from, what story have you told them? You've told them part of the gospel. And that's simply not sufficient. It's simply not enough. So, we want to present the whole counsel of God. How can we do that? If we don't know it, let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you this evening. We thank you for this opportunity, God. We praise you for your word, God. We come looking at this text. We've looked at it so many times, God, that, that sometimes it becomes familiar. Sometimes it becomes easy to gloss over it and, and, and just move on. But Father God, I pray that as your people, we would all be hungry and yearn to hear more from you in your word. Father, that you would reveal more to us each and every week about creation, God, and that we would see you glorified. We would see you magnified. Father, we would see your glory in all of your creation because of who you are. And Father, it's my prayer. If somebody is in here this evening and they've never accepted you 
as their Lord and Savior, that somehow or another they've, they've heard something tonight. They've said, in the beginning, God created everything. That means he began me in the beginning, and I want to be reconciled to him. Father, would you convict them and save them this very evening, God? Through the simplest of texts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Father, your word tells us that that's sufficient for salvation, Lord. That proclaiming your glory is sufficient. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. It's in your sweet name that we do pray this evening. Amen. Please stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.